Dear friends, we continue our study then of the book of Genesis. And we've come now to this uh, story, which in so many children's storybooks is presented as a delightful story of Noah and the animals cheerfully getting aboard the ark. Dear friends, I submit to you that this is one of the most awful passages in Scripture. Because we have here, really, a, a picture of the final judgment that God will bring upon the earth. And so it's with a measure of dread that we come to this passage, and me as a preacher too. To have to bring a message like this uh, brings a preacher no joy, although there is a, a, a strong element of joy in this passage too, as you will find out. But this is the passage of Scripture that we come to, right? And when we preach through the books of the Bible, we may skip the parts that are a little bit uncomfortable for us or unsettling to us. We have to look them in the face. All Scripture is given us for doctrine and for reproof. And so as the people of God, we look full in the face this passage of Scripture which comes to us this morning. Now, dear children, young people, and everyone here, I'm sure you've had the experience in your life of, of maybe you're drawing a picture, right? Or maybe you're building something out of wood, right? And you're nailing it together. You're sawing this. You're gluing that, right? You're clamping things together. But you just don't like how it looks. And so you decide to throw it all out and start over. Have you had that experience? Right? Maybe you're writing a paper. The older ones amongst us may have to write an essay or a paper for college, right? And you get a third of the way through and you're so upset with it, you just wipe it out and you start over again. Right? You hit the reset button, as it were, right? And you, you, you just start over. Well, that's really what we have happening here in this text of Scripture that has given us this morning. Do recall, friends, that God, when He initially created the world, looked at what he had created on the sixth day, remember? And he said, it is very good. Remember, on, at, at the end of each day, he saw that it was good. But on the sixth day, he saw that it was very good. But oh, what a difference has come in the, in the, in the world, in the creation, as God has made it. Because now we're told in verse 11 that again, God looks. Again, God looks at the world in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was corrupt. What happened? What happened, dear friends? Remember, and again, I, hopefully I'm jogging your memory here, you remember how it was the daughters of Cain who were very accomplished, very beautiful women. And remember that the Sethites, right, the, the, the children of Seth, right, they looked at the daughters of Cain and they desired them and they took them. And instead of there being enmity, right, between the children of the serpent and the children of the woman, right, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent, as it was given us in Genesis 3.15, you'll remember that they now began to come together, right? And it wasn't the children of Cain who gave up their ideas and their practices, no. It was the children of Seth, the seed of the woman, who gave up their godliness and merged and compromised and joined with the Cainites. And so gradually the world became corrupt. And that sharp division, that sharp antithesis between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent was blurred. It was grayed out, as it were. And what was the result? Well, in verse 11 we're told, and the earth was filled with violence. And here I'd like to say the Hebrew for you because I think you'll, you'll hear the word. The world was filled with Hamas. That's the Hebrew word there. The same word as the, as the Islamic terrorist group. 
Hamas. The earth was filled with violence. Remember that Cain killed Abel, right? And the children of Cain followed in his example. They're filled with violence and fraud and cheating and stealing. And the Sethites are now becoming like that themselves. And now the whole world, not just the Cainites, not just the children of of the serpent, as we might say, but now the whole world, in verse 11, we're told, has become corrupt and filled with violence. And so when God looks on the earth, verse 12, God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt. For all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Well, my friends, this is why. This is why. That now God has determined uh, on a different course of action. Now, of course, I speak humanly, right? We know that in God's eternal decree, all of this was well known by God, and God's perfect plan was marching on forward. And yet you, uh, we know that uh, in this text it says that God regretted having created, uh, having created uh, his creation. You can see that in verse 7, for I am sorry that I have made them. Well, at any rate then, judgment and salvation is our second point. Judgment and salvation. And now too, uh, dear friends, we see a principle of how God works in the world. That when God works in a fallen and sinful world, there is always the two sides of the coin. There is always judgment, right? Because God will never look on sin and excuse it. He never just passes over it and says, well, I'll just forget it for this time. There will always be judgment. But there will also be salvation. Judgment and salvation. And we see that in this, in this chapter. Because God says in verse 13, Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me. In other words, they've, they've crossed a the line. They've, their wickedness has reached a point of no return, as it were. The end of all flesh has come before me. For the earth is filled with violence, or Hamas again, because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. In other words, God is going to reset his creation. He's going to wipe it out. And he's going to begin again. There's the judgment side of it, isn't there? That is God's judgments. Remember, uh, the apostle tells us, behold, both the goodness and the severity of God. Well, this is the severity of God, isn't it? This is that side of God that, is, that brings judgment upon sinners. But then there's also a goodness, isn't it? There's also salvation. And we read that in verse 14. The very first word of verse 14, what is it? The very first word of verse 14, make. Make what? Make for yourself an ark. Why? Because God had a purpose to save and to rescue Noah from the judgments that he was going to bring on the earth. So there is judgment upon the wicked and there is salvation for, well, we'll we'll see, for who? But make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, judgment and salvation. Well, let's look then in the third place at this ark. Let's look at this ark that Noah is instructed to make. So in the first place, we see that Noah is instructed to make this ark of gopher wood. Now, uh, the the scholars who study these things do not know what gopher wood is. Uh, Nevertheless, from from the title itself of gopher wood, it seems that this wood would have been some kind of resinous wood. Uh, 
you know, a, a, the kind of wood that would have made sense to make a boat out of. It would have been water resistant. It would have been a, a kind of tarry wood with a, um, with a resinous, like, you know, like when you, you uh, when you children, when you cut a pine tree, right? You get that sap, that kind of that oozy, sticky stuff, right? And in the same way, it's likely that this, this wood, this gopher wood, some translations of the Bible have put cypress wood. Now, cypress wood is a specific kind of wood, but there they're, they're speculating that gopher wood is cypress wood. They may be right, they may not be right, but whatever it is, it, it's, a, it's a resinous kind of wood that would have made that boat very water-resistant. So you are to make it of gopher wood. Then you shall make the ark with rooms. I'm sorry, before I get to that, notice the last part of verse 14. You shall cover it inside and out with pitch. So not only are they to build it out of that resinous kind of wood, but inside and outside, right, the ark, they are to put this pitch, this caulk, right, or this tar all over the ark, again, to make it waterproof. So that's the material of which they would have made it. And now the size of the ark. And by the way, uh, those of you who've been to Kentucky and seen the ark encounter there where they actually rebuilt a, a replica of the ark will we'll have a sense of having seen the, the, the immense size of the ark as Noah was instructed to make it. But notice in verse 14 it says, You shall make the ark with rooms. So the ark is to be divided up into rooms, many, many, many rooms, and the, the, the uh, dimensions are given us in verse 15. And again, we, we estimate roughly a cubit to be about 18 inches, right? So you can kind of get an idea for how large this ark must have been. Notice that uh, in the last part of verse 16, you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Again, so you're getting a sense for something of the size, right? The immense size of this ark. And then notice also that there is to be a, a door in the ark. In verse 16, in the middle, and set the door of the ark in the side of it. So this is the ark. Now, my friends, when you think of this ark, you must not think of a boat. I know uh, even I was a little disappointed uh, when I went to Kentucky that the, the front of the ark <clears throat> is very much uh, set up like the front of a boat, like the bow of a boat. But the word ark is not boat. It's just a box. It's just like a large chest. And you know that the, the ark had no sails. It had no rudder. right? It was not meant to be a boat. It was not meant to, to go from one place to the next. It's just a box, a chest. In fact, it's the same word that was used. Remember when Moses was born and his mother placed him in an ark right? or a, a chest made of bulrushes, and then she put him in the Nile River. It's the same, it's the same uh, word. And so the ark is just a box. It is a, a chest, waterproofed very tightly, with a window going all the way around the top, with a door, with three decks, and with many, many rooms in it. And this is now going to be an ark of salvation for Noah and his family. And that's what Noah then is told to begin building. And so this is the, the judgment side, right, is the flood is going to come. But also the salvation side, that this massive ark is to be built for Noah and his family and to preserve alive all the different animals that are on the earth. Now, my friends, I am going to stop there then with the explanation of the ark. And you know, friends, there are, there are many sermons that we bring uh, from, the, from this pulpit 
many, many doctrines that we teach here and, and many things from the scriptures that we discuss. But there are some sermons where we come back to the basics, where we come back to the very ABCs of the gospel. And that's where we come this morning, my friends. And so the rest of the time this morning, I'd like to consider with you Judgment Day, as we see it in Genesis 6, and as it teaches us what to expect in the future of what is coming. And my first point in this regard, my friends, is the end. The end. And now I speak very directly to you, dear friends, who are amongst us, and you know that you're not a Christian person today. In one sense, I would hope that I'm speaking to nobody right now. But we know that that's not the case, is it? The congregation has unconverted people amongst it. And in your own heart, you know who you are. But there are also those, dear friends, who gather with us from week to week, who've who've learned the language of Christianity. They know how to speak. They know how to sit in church. They know how to sing. But in your own heart, you also know that you've not really given your heart to Jesus Christ. I speak to you as well this morning. And I speak to all God's people. It's important for us to know what's at stake and to think seriously about what it is, the reality and the truth that we confront as we live on this earth as human beings. And so in the first place, I ask you to consider with me, my uh, dear friends, the end. Because the people in Noah's day were living routine lives just like you and I are living. Every day, probably, I don't know how if it was every day, maybe it was once a week or every other week or whatever it was, Noah would get up and he would preach. Right? There's another verse in Scripture that says Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He preached. And what did he preach? He preached that there is an end coming. Because God had told Noah, the end of all flesh is before me. And now Noah stands in that society and in that world and he says an end is coming. An end is coming. And it's very interesting to me, my friends, that there are other scriptures in the New Testament which reference this reality. If you would turn with me in Matthew 24 and verse 36... Here Jesus is speaking about the time when heaven and earth will pass away. This is Matthew 24 and verse 36. And he says, but of that day and hour, no one knows. Again, Matthew 24 and verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. Not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of, who? Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. My friends, I ask you to consider seriously those words as Jesus gives them to us. That there's a day coming. We get up to go to work. 
We come home from work. We have our dinner. We go to bed. We wake up the next morning. We go about our daily routine. We check our to-do list. We check the task off. We move from this. We move from that. And it just keeps going day after day. But dear friends, the preaching of Noah this morning is that one day an end is coming. It is going to come to an end. Do you believe it? Do I believe it? It's such a difficult thing for us in our time to grasp, isn't it? With our scientific mindset, with the way we reason about reality. I have projects I'm working on. Do you? Children, young people, what sort of projects are you working on? I've got something I've got to work on for next week, and, and for three months from now, I hope to do this. But the text says that there's a day coming when it's all going to end. You're going to graduate from school. You're going to move on to college. You're going to move on to a career. But somewhere, and the hour no one knows, it's going to all come to an end. And there will be no more going forward from that point on. It's going to come to an end. And now I want to speak, especially again, as I said, to those amongst us who are not Christians. In my second point, the danger, the dreadful danger of living your life apart from Jesus Christ. Because, my friends, I want you to see this morning those people in the days of Noah. I want you to see them getting up in the morning, eating their breakfast, going about their work. And I imagine that they looked over at Noah. They heard him banging on the nails, right, as he pounds in, board after board, as he builds the first floor and the second floor. And I imagine there was probably some beard scratching right as they looked at that and said, this is absurd. What is he doing? Why, it hasn't rained? I mean, seriously, Noah. Right? This is how we think. Until that day came, when Noah pounded in the last nail. And for the last time, he walked up that door into the ark. And then do you see it, my friends? We're told this in Genesis 7. In Genesis 7, we're told that God gave Noah the command Uh, In verse 16, God gave Noah the command to enter the ark. But in Genesis 7, verse 16, those that entered, male and female of all flesh, entered as God had commanded him. And the Lord closed it behind him. Closed what? The door. My friends, do you see it? Do you see it as the last moment of God's grace and call to sinners comes to an end. And that door seals shut on the ark. And no one has any more chance of getting aboard the ark of salvation that God had provided for people. 
Noah had preached for over a hundred years. The end is coming. There is an end coming. And if the end finds you outside of this ark, you are lost under the judgments of God forever and forever. Oh, my friends, I wish I could, I could, I could impress it upon you this morning. The dreadful danger that a person is in who lives outside the ark of Jesus Christ. My friends, we are in exactly the same situation as the people before Noah's time, or during Noah's time. As Noah preached and the end came, so we, as God's people, are living in those days when the end finally is going to come, whether it's tomorrow or a thousand years from now, I don't know. No one knows. But that end is coming. And this passage of Scripture teaches us that there is no greater danger in heaven or earth than to be outside that ark when the end comes. My friends, I hope a a tremor of fear goes up your back when you think about that dreadful possibility. Maybe you say this morning, preacher, are you trying to scare us? Let me be perfectly clear. Better to tremble with fear here, my friends, and to get on that ark than on that last day to find yourself outside the ark and to see the door of the ark closed. Again, I want to turn with you to a passage of the New Testament in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. Where again, he's talking about the coming of the day of the Lord. 2 Peter 3, this is on page 1217. If you'd like to follow, page 1217. But again, Peter is talking about the coming day of the Lord. And again, he uses the same example of Noah. Look at verse 3 with me. 2 Peter 3 and verse 3. Know this first of all, that in the last days mockers will come with their mocking, following after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. That's the the natural reaction, isn't it? Noah, you've been working on that ark for almost a hundred years now, and you still think that the flood is coming? They mocked. But verse 5, For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and by water, through which the world at that time was destroyed, being flooded with water. But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, That with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. And so, my friends, we're taught here the reason, the reason why God has uh, given us this time this, as Noah have 120 years of preaching. But now God gives us this time. Why? So that we would repent. And let me move then to my third point of application here, my friends, which is room. Room. How can we find safety? My friends, again, I hope as we feel something of the fear, 
something of the dreadful weight of what it means to be alive in this time, knowing that an end is coming. We must cry out. Do you cry out? My friends, if you can just roll over and go back to sleep at this point, I fear for you. Nothing else matters in life. But praise God, we can come to ask this question. What, where can I find safety? Where can I find an ark? Where can I find a place that will survive the judgments and the wrath of God? Well, we're taught that too in our text, isn't it? We need to get into the ark. We need to get into the ark and to find safety there. God said to Noah, build an ark. But my friends, the preaching of the gospel this morning is you don't need to build an ark. The ark is already there. Take refuge in the ark, which is Christ, is the call that comes to you today. And this passage, is, this passage preaches to us such a beautiful truth this morning, my friends, that there is room in the ark for you. In fact, my friends, Noah's ark, for all its massive size, was still limited. But the ark of Christ, my friends, has infinite space within it. There is no lack of room in that ark. The greatest sinner can find a place there. No matter what you may have done in your life, or how low you may have sunk in your life, no matter how much you say, I don't know that God could ever forgive me, I can stand here, uh, dear friends, as Noah stood centuries ago, and tell you there is room in the ark for you. And the massive size of the ark that Noah built is just a type and a picture for us of the infinite sufficiency of the cross of Christ to save everyone who comes under its shadow. There is room for you. There is no shortage of room in the Christ. There's not one person here who can exclude himself from this ark of salvation. My friends, again, it's very serious for us to consider this time in which we live. Because not only do we live in a time where we know the end is coming, but we live in a time, my friends, where there is an ark and where it has an open door. That door is still open and Noah is still calling to everyone, come, find refuge in this ark. Ho, everyone that thirsteth, said Isaiah the prophet, come to the waters, and he that hath no money, come, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Paul says we are ambassadors for Christ, proclaiming, calling, entreating on behalf of Christ, as though God were entreating by us, we beseech you on behalf of Christ, be ye reconciled to God. My friends, you can be reconciled with God today by entering into the ark, which is Jesus Christ. That door is still open. And the call still goes forth with sincerity and with earnestness and with the force of a command. Enter into the ark. If you sit in my hearing this this morning and you know that you've never come into that ark, is not this the day, my friends? Is not this the day when you should make haste to get into this ark of salvation. How many more days are going to pass away? 
Consider the possibility, my friends, not the possibility, the certainty, that there is a day coming when that door will close, when the door of the ark will begin to creak shut. And then there is no more possibility of salvation. Then it's over. Imagine the horror in the minds of those people when the earth began to split open and when water began to gush forth from the earth. And when the water and when the rain began to descend and it suddenly crossed their minds, it's too late. It's too late. Noah was speaking the truth. My friends, is it possible that this morning you hear the truth and that you've perhaps ignored it up till this point or pushed it aside? Or perhaps you just went along with the flow. Again, you learned the language. You, 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 you warmed the seat in church and, you, and you, you, you do all the things. But my friends, have you ever sincerely believed in Jesus Christ? And taken refuge in him. How was there ever a time in your life, my friends, when you got on your knees and when you called out, Oh God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Oh God, your judgments are coming. I must get into Jesus Christ. I take refuge in him today. My friends, short of that kind of faith in Christ, you are still outside of the ark. You do not just grow by osmosis to come into the ark. God calls you to take hold of his promise of salvation by faith. And apart from that, I cannot give you any assurance that the judgments of God will not reach you. My friends, I want to read this to you from the Catechism. Be patient with me a minute as I find this. So in, the, in, the, in our catechism, it says, how does preaching the gospel open and close the kingdom of heaven? My friends, may I reword that and say, how does preaching the gospel open and close the ark of salvation? According to the command of Christ, the kingdom of heaven is opened by proclaiming and publicly declaring to each and every believer that as often as he accepts the gospel promised in true faith, God, because of what Christ has done, truly forgives all his sins. That's how you get into the ark, my friends, through that open door. And in the second place, the kingdom of heaven is closed, however, by proclaiming and publicly declaring to unbelievers and hypocrites that as long as they do not repent, the anger of God and eternal condemnation rests on them. My friends, that's my task this morning as the preacher. I am not here to tickle your ears or to please you with high-sounding phrases, but to tell you the honest truth that apart from the ark of salvation... You are lost. And that the time may be drawing close. When the day of God's grace and the day of the open door will come to an end. I urge you, my friends, I call upon you, I beg you, I entreat you. To fly for safety to the ark of refuge. Remember what Jesus said to Jerusalem when he stood outside the city. And he said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. You see, the door had come close. The door had closed on the city of Jerusalem. Their day of grace had passed. The time of salvation was over for them. And now Jesus wept over that city. In his love, he wept over a city that loved its own destruction. Well, my friends, I come then to my last point, safety. Are you in that ark 
this morning. Dear friends, I know you. And I trust that you have taken refuge in Christ for salvation. That you are resting in him for your salvation. And now I have the happy task of speaking to you about your safety in Christ. It's almost as if my friends were in that ark. Do you hear the floodwaters smashing against the sides? But we're in that ark. And we can look up at the sides of the ark and we can see that pitch. We can see those timbers. They're solid. They're safe. None of God's judgments can enter the ark. You're as safe there, my friends, as if you were in heaven already. Those timbers are sure. Christ will never lose one of his children. No one falls overboard from this ark. And when you've taken refuge in Christ, when you've believed in him, with all your doubts, with all your backsliding, I know. But if you know that you've taken hold of the promise of salvation in Christ, then it's the glorious privilege of preachers to say you are safe. The judgment of water that comes upon the earth didn't wreck the ark for Noah and his family. And neither will the flood of fire that's coming upon the earth that's going to burn with a fervent heat. It can't touch you. It can't touch you if you're in that ark. The ark of Christ is an ark of safety. And it will keep you. And it will preserve you from all harm. Children, do you remember what happened when the three friends of Daniel came out of the fiery furnace? Remember that furnace was so hot that even the men who threw Daniel and his three friends in there were instantly struck dead. But dearly beloved, when the three friends of Daniel came out of that furnace, not even the smell of the smoke was on their clothes. And so while we live in this time state, my friends, and if we're in that ark of salvation, and when that end comes, when that terrifying day when the heavens are rolled up like a scroll, and when Jesus Christ stands on the circle of the earth with his scepter in his hand, and when the angel of God will thrust in his sickle of judgment, it will not touch you. It cannot touch you. Then that's what we read of in Revelation chapter 7. After these things I looked. This is Revelation 7 and verse 9. And behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and people and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. They're safe, my friends, because they were in that lamb. And that lamb shed his blood for them. And no one or no thing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Jesus Christ our Lord. My friends, I call you for one last time in this message to be sure that you are in that ark. Amen. Let us pray. Oh God, we draw near to you at the close of this service. And this evening, or this morning, O Lord, we take refuge in that ark of salvation. We fly, Lord, through that open door. We don't walk, we run. 
And we find a room in that ark for us. Because we know, Lord, that apart from that ark, we will, be, we will fall under your judgment and we shall be lost forever and forever. Oh God, if there's one soul here in this building who even now is dismissing this message, pushing it aside, ignoring it, oh God, I pray that you would stir up the conscience of that person so that they would have no rest or peace until they come to find refuge in that blessed and happy ark. And that we might rejoice with them. That we might all together say, Come, I will tell you what the Lord has done for my soul. Lord, will you bless us then and keep us this day, also this evening, Lord, as we return for worship. Lord, may it be a good and happy hour for us as we gather around your throne and worship you as a foretaste, Lord, of that one day when as a, as a, as a multitude which no man can number, and we may gather around that great throne, that great white throne, and worship the Lamb and say, To him be glory and honor, power, majesty, and dominion from this time forth and forevermore. Amen. Well, let's turn in the red hymnal now to number 433. Does anybody know this hymn? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind. But now I see. We'll sing the six verses of number 433 in the red hymnal.
Receive the blessing of the Lord and go in peace. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus unto all generations forever and ever. Amen.